You're listening to The School Tea with Pool and D. Welcome to another episode of The School Tea with Pool and D. Hey, I'm Steve. Pool. And I'm D. Good afternoon. Good evening. Happy Thursday. How is everyone? The topic for this evening, this day is principles. What is a principle? What is the role of a principle? How is a principle developed? What skills should a principle have? How do you identify a great principle? How do you enhance a principle? Should a principle have vision? Um, it's gonna be real interesting. Principles. I'm gonna let you start off on this one because I got a lot to say about this. You let me start out. Yes, because I got a lot to say about this. You know, there, there's there's so many ways you can go with principles. You know, principles are probably, let me say it like this. I know I did with the, with the teachers and I talked about the <laughs> everything, the knots of it, right? Um, I guess the things about a principle that is always going to be us against them. Uh, with principles, there's this uh, dichotomy of trying to push people into a direction that lends its best self towards student achievement. Um, ultimately, principles are there to ensure that the school vision or the district vision is carried out. So, you know, this personality, I'll say personality um, clash that usually happens on campuses with principles uh, comes from them either being a great visionary and people can't <laughs> grasp the vision or lack of vision and people are trying to figure out what are you here for and so in the process you know people look like it looks like that people are placed based off of who they know and not what they know now we'll say this a lot of school districts allow uh, teachers and community to be a part of choosing their next principal. Um, sometimes those those selection processes are 100% valid. And then there are the other percent, the lower percent, where um, regardless of how they went through a system, they're still being chosen by district staff because that's what they wanted to do and they wanted part. to take people through a process. Wasted their time, yeah. And so, um, and that's where you get sometimes those relationships that are uh, that have those clashes because most of the teachers are sitting there looking like, I didn't, I didn't choose you, they chose you, and that's not what we did. So therefore, now the district doesn't value who we are and the time that we waste in choosing our next leader. And then you minimize who teachers are in a process because that leader has to actually lead them when they know that they didn't want them, which is why I said before in the teacher segment that teachers always say, I'm going to be here longer than you. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, D hit on something that has been irking my soul for a while, and that is the selection process for campus leadership. And you have different districts that do somewhat of the same thing. Like she said, you may have a community panel, you may have um, a 
gauntlet of ways of doing it in levels where it's it may be your executive director initially or your district superintendent, however they do it. And then there's a community aspect and there's a teacher aspect. But the problem that we tend to have a lot of times is that in the end, a lot of times the district may have a decision already made, but you're making it seem like you're allowing the community to have real input. And the mistake is made a lot of times in today's day, because a lot of times your district level um, uh, administrators are disconnected from a community and or disjointed from the community. So a lot of times your community and your teacher panel makes a lot more sense in the selection process. And the reason why that's important is because you have a lot of people today that have either gotten certified and stayed in one um, lane for a long period of time. And when they decide to become an administrator, because they didn't enhance themselves in multiple areas, not just in operations and not just in instruction, but also different programs. In the state of Texas, you have pathways, you have CTE programs, you have collegiate programs, you have people who have to understand if you're on the secondary level, um, fine arts, when you have extracurricular like sports or band or dance. And what happens sometimes is that you get an administrator and their tunnel vision. They have an understand, understanding of operation and that's it. Or they have an understanding of instruction. And there's a big push for everybody to be instructional. The problem is for years, most male administrators were operational because a lot of times they were used for discipline and that has changed. And in some districts, they started pivoting and being more in tune with instructional and having some of their male administrators become more instructional. But then they started to focus on just data and how to maneuver instructionally based on numbers and percentages. So what you start to see was once again, tunnel vision. You're focusing on data and instruction, but you're not focusing on the development of the student holistically. You're looking at certain things from one lens. You're looking at hiring certain administrators who only have, like they say, one horse in the race, and you can't have success like that. What I'm seeing in education is very few administrators have all of the tools. That's understandable. But you see very few who are willing to learn the tools that they need to learn to enhance what either they already know or to learn more of what they need to know to enhance the students and the teachers in the building. And that's becoming an angst. And that's one of the reasons why we're not seeing schools become as successful as they should be. I mean, I have a big issue with it because I do a lot of community involvement and community engagement. And I'm big on developing our teachers. I'm big on developing um, students. And what I'm seeing is that a lot of educators um, are jumping into the seat um, for financial reasons, they've moved up the ladder, or for power reasons, they moved up the ladder, or because they feel like they've learned what they needed to learn. And it's kind of like what we said about teachers. There are certain types of professional development as an educator just like as a principal, you need to go ahead and get involved in. You shouldn't have to wait on the district to say we have a training program through this particular university. You should seek it out yourself. Um, there are different types of sites. You know, there's Cafele who comes on 
and he's excellent with giving you information on what you should look at as far as being an administrator, campus-level administrator. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I do see is a lot of people only do what their district tells them to do. And what I've learned um, as I've watched the administrators, they forget that a lot of times the people that are above them have been removed from the campus life 5, 10, 15 years. So some of the information that they're pushing down may be kind of outdated. And there's nothing wrong with trying to figure out What's going on on my campus? When you sit with your administrative team and your lead teachers, your department heads, and you say, what can we do different? That's when you start to become an innovative administrator. And you say, how do we enhance these kids? What programs really benefit our kids? How do we enhance extracurricular? How do we make sure that our teachers are actually a learning group of individuals? Yes, they are seasoned teachers. Yes, they've been here 10, 15 years. But are they growing? Do they know how to deal with today's population? To me, now you have what's called an innovative campus leader, someone who can see the broader scope and is not just one dimensional. And that is truly an important component because education changes, not like it used to every five to 10, 15 years. It's changing like every three to five years now. Our kids and the way that things are coming down the pipe, if you are a campus administrator and you are not, you are not taking the time to learn other tricks of the trade, other components that you need to have in your toolbox. If you are a principal at a high school and you're instructional, but you're not paying attention to your athletic department, scheduling, how to hire the right kind of coaches, how to hire the right kind of people for CTE, things you need to do outside of the box to bring in great first year, second year teachers, how to find teachers that your district can't find in areas like science and math, it's going to be hard for you to maintain your campus because you're not thinking outside the box. And that's what's happening is that everybody has now fallen into the line of whatever my district says is the only thing I'm going to do. That doesn't necessarily make you a great administrator because your goal should be one to lead your campus train and direct and lead your teachers, be instructional in knowing what needs to happen, but also be an innovative person. Don't be afraid to be innovative. Innovative doesn't mean I'm doing something or taking a risk that it actually is going to hurt. That's when you use your site base, your, 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 your community, your teachers, your parents, and you say, hey, let's look at this. How do we break this the information down that we can say next year, this is what we're gonna do to enhance our campus. Campus leadership is probably, I ain't gonna say, it's the most important part of making sure that our school systems run. We have to start looking at principals and saying, hey, how are you enhancing yourself to enhance our campuses? And yeah, I got a lot to say about it because I deal with a lot, a lot of times with a lot of campus principals and a lot of them are like, well, Pooh, why are you so driven? I said, because what I've seen is that a lot of times the stuff that is told to you sometimes is outdated. And I'm not saying to second guess your district all the time. I'm saying take the time to look at it. Don't just take it and run with it. Yeah, you had a lot to say there. <laughs> oh, oh my God, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, look, he summed up the scope of being a principal and all the things you have to do. 
Um, I know there is another side of it. The extension of this is I got into a full out debate, y'all. I promise you I did with people who were principals at the time or had just probably came out from being a principal, um, meaning they got promoted. That's what I mean by that. But um, we, the question was, or the statement was that teachers directly affect instruction. And so they were taken back and they said, no, principals directly affect instruction. Principles directly affect, affect instruction. And so this turned into almost, I mean, what it had to be almost a two-week battle <laughs> about it because we, we had a long conversation, the first part of it, because they were saying, well, the principals, you know, carry out the vision. Of, the principals are ensuring that teachers are teaching standards, they're observing classes, they are uh, always involved instructionally, so they directly affect instruction. And so I asked, well, do they directly affect instruction negatively? or positively and they were like well positively because they do all these things i said but if they don't do those things and they directly affect instruction negatively then so you're telling me one person who doesn't do this can change or alter the outcomes of students in a classroom so from there you know they really want to know why i felt like teachers directly affect instruction in the classroom because ultimately in a, in a classroom, a teacher, a principal can give directives, a principal can give vision, a principal can give, uh, they can provide professional development, but it's up to the teacher to go back into their classroom and to do those things with the students. Um, if it does not happen from teacher to student, then the instruction is lost because a principal does not fully come in and educate students on a daily basis. Um, and, and I had to take a step back because I had to listen to, you know, some of their arguments as to why they felt like they did. And those are some of the things that they said. And, and it's valid, right? Like, it's not a right or wrong, but ultimately, you got to ask yourself this. The moment that, you, that you're no longer doing those things, does it have a negative impact on the classroom? Well, you can't say that because you have veteran teachers that are in your buildings. You have some teachers who were first-year teachers like myself who went in when I was a first-year teacher. I can't say that my principal was directly affecting instruction. My principal was directly affecting me and my attitude about wanting to be there every day. That's what my principal was directly affecting. But um, but in the but in the uh, the effect is more what they were talking about. The affects <laughs> is what is what we feel on a day-to-day -day basis when we're dealing with administration, right? And so as a principal, you know, there's so many things you learn. Um, I've been able to serve in the capacity of principal <coughs> you learn. It doesn't make it right or wrong. Um, you can get tunnel vision. You can walk in and just say, you know what? I'm focused on student achievement and I miss all these other things. Um, I think one thing for me, you know, just walking in, I knew my purpose. I knew why I was wanting to lead. I knew um, that I was willing to make the commitment to lead because it was always about the children. Now, I was a principal that would get upset if one of my uh, students' names were left off on a roster during a pep rally when they called all the football team. And I'm looking like, well, why did he get called? <laughs> and so they were like, well, it was a mistake. Calm down. I was like, well, I can't calm down because what I do know right now that imprinted on that baby for life because in the moment where they were supposed to have their shine, somehow the grown-ups messed it up. The grown-ups messed it up. So and what he, and so what I kind of want to just you know bring it down in layman's terms of what Poole is talking about is that 
Yeah, you're called to lead. Yeah, there are things you have to follow. But I'm going to go back to the same thing of being human as to what is your job. Your job is to, again, protect and empower and motivate and inspire and love those children every single day, which means the behaviors that we allow adults to do cannot get outside the scope of them trying to do what they want to do and not follow what needs to happen for children. And so when we start talking about these lines that are being drawn in the sand, you have teachers who will go in and close their doors. Now, is that right or wrong? Well, I don't know. Let's look at, let's look at the byproduct of the scores. But as, but as a principal, a teacher can never close their doors. Why? Because as the instructional leader, you should always be in those classrooms. You should always know what's going on in the classroom. You should always be having the feedback and the coaching sessions with those teachers to let them know, this is what I saw. Here's what, tell me what you saw. What, what intent were you trying to, um, what was your intent in how you delivered that and what could you have done better? And so all those things around, how do we push teachers into a space where the, for one, they don't feel like they're being attacked and they don't feel like they're being evaluated negatively pushes them yeah. to be better. So when you talk about, you know, sports, for instance, you know, being a high school principal, there are all these things that are going, these balls you have to juggle. There are so many things that you have to know. And uh, do all the principals get it right? No. But I think when you go back in and you ask what is the primary focus, uh, the primary focus that a principal has is, you know, are they the determining factor of the success or failure of the students? I think that's more so of what the principals that I was kind of having that debate with when they were asking about, yeah, we directly affect instruction. No, you are the determining factor of success or failure for that campus. So if you are a poor leader, then the then culture and climate will be indicative of that. And you will see that as a byproduct of teacher retention, teacher turnover, scores, attendance. You see it in those spaces. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, if I'm talking about how do I hire coaches? How am I, am, how am I what is my responsibility ensuring that coaches are in place? You know, the first question you always got to ask yourself is then what am I lacking in the data? Um, you know, everybody who comes into a school has competing priorities. That's just is how it's going to happen. The CTE director is going to compete with the athletic director who's going to compete with, with uh, the social studies lead who's going to compete with the, e, the ELA or the fine arts. Right. You have all these things because every, you know what, and it's a beautiful thing, right? Because everyone feels like their program at the moment is important. They have something that they are offering children that you'll never be able to reach because they'll be able to reach these students over here. And in the process of that, it is, it is a principal's job to take all of the feedback, all of the personalities, all of the competing priorities and make it make sense. So it can't just be cut and dry to say, oh, well, we're only focused on this right now. But here's the thing where principals are look missing out right now because even being a principal, you still have a charge in improving student outcomes and continuous improvement for teachers. Like that is ultimately your charge. And so if you can start having conversations with the competing priorities that allow them to see, here's where I am, here's why I need to make these decisions. I need you to come along with me. It's not absent of your program, but at this moment, here is the focus. And a lot of people will understand that, but what they don't understand is when you tell them, oh, this is what we focused on and what you have is, is irrelevant right now because everybody's not gonna run with a ball. Everybody's not gonna sing. And the moment you do that, you close the doors on any opportunities of being, um, of having the, building those relationships with those people in those departments.
So one of the hot topics that I, I've had conversation about is when should someone become an administrator or principal, campus level principal? We've had situations over the last, I'll say 10 years, and they, they talk about the millennials. And I hate that because they're no different than my generation or any other generation when it comes to wanting a level of success. They may have gone about it a little faster than most. So one of the questions that I used to get or that I've had were, or debates that I've had was, should a millennial or a person that has never been in the classroom longer than five years or six years be leading a campus. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if a time frame is the measuring stick. Because if you if you look at what we're saying, a lot of it has to do with understanding the job. Mm -hmm. And I can't put a time frame on somebody's ability to absorb information. You may have someone who's super emotional and, and can feel children, someone who is super knowledgeable and can absorb information and may have had great mentors in the last four or five years and can go into a, a leadership position on a campus, maybe elementary or junior high school, middle school level and be extremely successful. It may be someone who may have true understanding of programming in CTEs, in uh, extracurricular, and go into a high school setting and be extremely successful. The thing about it is you want to make sure that that person has those skill sets. So it's not necessarily to me about age or mm -hmm. about gender, because mm -hmm. there's been a big debate, debate about high schools and certain communities should have a male of African-American descent. And I think I tell friends of mine, I never thought I'd be a part of the Me Too movement. But but what but where I'm coming from is we have to keep in mind education is predominantly female mm -hmm. and most males in education are coaches or are health teachers or are sped teachers and a lot of them didn't or don't aspire to be administrators um, not for a while. And then when they do, they are used in certain areas like operations, old school disciplines. What was it called? Books, butts, and buses. That was an old formula. And what has happened is you have more women who have the expertise that they've culminated over years, but they are not looked at because they feel like in certain populations, a man would make more sense. That's not necessarily true. Because it's not about discipline. When, when you look at it, it's about systems and structures. And a lot of times, some guys haven't had that expertise or had those skill sets in their toolboxes. And those individuals that are female do. And they also understand instruction. And they also understand developing teachers. And they also understand programming. So I don't have an issue when it comes to ageism. I don't have an issue when it comes to gender. I have an issue when you have someone in a position and they don't have the skills. And then you look and you wonder what's wrong with the building? What's wrong with the teachers? Why aren't the scores or why isn't the school performing? What we've forgotten in education is that a campus level administrator has to think about holistically how to develop children, not just how to make sure they pass a test or make sure a school is managed. 
Because what I'm seeing, a lot of people have managerial skills where they're managing people or they have the ability to look at scores and data and say, we're going to pass scores. But then our kids are either disciplined and they don't have skill sets when they graduate or they're tested to where they pass, but then they don't have a holistic experience where socially they don't develop when it comes or they don't have the skills to interact when they go out into the world. So we have to be really, really um, in tune when we look at who is actually leading our kids, no matter if that person is 29 or if that person is 59. That person needs to have the skill set to be a campus level administrator for the level that they're working on. Just my opinion. Yeah, you cannot lead from the main office. <laughs> it's amazing that um, a lot of people get caught up spending the time in the main office because mm -hmm. you're putting out fires. But um, to what you were stating is more so the mental agility. Do they have the mental yeah. agility to adapt? Like, do they listen? Have they read? Are they able to uh, respond in time of crisis? Like, this is situational leadership. And a mm -hmm. lot of districts have, you know, some districts started trying to do interviews based off of situational leadership. Um, but a lot of the things that you want to experience as a principal deals with situational leadership. And who you are as a leader will show up in how you're responding to the situations. Um, you know, um, being, the, I'm glad he said he's part of the Me Too movement, right? You know, <laughs> as a me, you know, knowing that I've been passed over for jobs because they said that they wanted a man or I've worked on jobs, but they said, oh, well, you're too emotional. This is why, you know, men do this job better. Like literally people are having these conversations out loud and thinking that it's okay. Um, and having to, um, as a, as a, female, and let me be more specific, as a Black female former principal, having to go in and cater everything to the people that I serve and nobody being able to deposit that back. And so for the principals that are listening, find you a group of people who will deposit back into you what other people take out from you the labels that they place on you. Because again, we know when we go in, we have to do that. We have sometimes we're impersonating and playing double roles because people have these expectations of us. And if we, how dare we as black women have any other emotion besides yes, with a smile every single day. And so, oh, um, you know, and, and it just depends on, you know, where you're working yeah. or having to go in and have to, um, having to adjust to the communities that you're working in, right? Like that's another thing of being able to relate to parents and having parents come after you and all these different dynamics. But again, it goes back to what am I intentional about? Am I intentional about engaging my teachers? Am I intentional about engaging my parents? Am I intentional about making sure I'm present every day in those classrooms, in the hallways where people can see me because they know that I don't lead from the main office. So when the crisis does happen, I'm right there. I didn't have to hear about it. And am I developing my assistant principals to do the roles that I Thank have? And, you know, again, and I take this back, your assistant principals are just not there to serve as discipline. A lot of districts have gotten it wrong when they think the principal needs to be in the classroom and the assistant principal needs to do discipline. That's a crazy fallacy as well, because you're building the next leader so that if the principal was ever out, that's what an assistant principal does. They're there to assist. So that means they should have just enough of the discipline. 
They should have just enough of the instructional leadership. And so there's a balance in that. This is not just, oh, let me push it to you and give you growth opportunities because some of the growth opportunities push people out of the profession. And so a lot of principals are leaving the profession. I know there's a lot of data out there that principals are leaving. Like they know they don't want any parts of this. Why? Because the principals are the heartbeat of a school district. Unfortunately, you know, people may not like the way I'm saying that, but again, in the way that America has set up schools, that the principals are campus leaders. And so in, in how campus leaders run their campuses will ultimately affect how districts do business, how they recruit uh, new teachers, how they're getting, how their attendances are increasing. All that matters because they they build the culture and climate in the communities that they're serving. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff that we're not saying, right? Like I, I think at some <laughs> point we'll get to yeah. this this conversation where we have this open conversation. So please know, y'all, we're we're giving you just to let you know that we don't. I don't think we want to come in and just go rah rah in simply because we still got to let you know that there's background to this. Like we've done this work, and so again, it's like one of those things that you can't you can't talk about my brother, but I can because he's my brother. That's what this is right now. So at some point, it, it will get to a space where you can't talk about him because I've been here, I've done this. But let me show you how to work around these things. And so principles. Um, to what you just said about there's so many principals that are coming out and just want to be a principal. Somebody just, you know, they're wanting to be leaders. Why? Because they don't pay us enough, right? Like ultimately they don't pay us enough. But I will also say that a lot of the, the females that are in their profession are overlooked. Why? Because men dominate, men do not dominate the profession. You know, you're talking about less than 2% of people in a profession, less than 3% of people in a profession who ultimately run school districts, who ultimately run campuses while female teachers are in classrooms. And so then when you get female teachers to come out and want to lead, they're, let, they're having to live under this umbrella of a double standard in the process and still underpaid. We know that principals are under, female principals are underpaid at, by 10,000 or more in these school districts. And so when you're asking for the capacity to push forth and to do this work, then why isn't the work the same across the board? The same principal has to walk in the same high school, do the same job at the same time every single day, yet you're telling me for, uh, for both of us who've been in a profession for the longest time that you're gonna pay this man more. That's a different conversation, right? But that's an extension of, these are the things that you're not understanding that principals deal with. You're dealing with principals walking into meetings where um, the superintendents are having different conversations, executive directors are having different conversations with them about how they want them to do something. And again, if we're not actually helping a person develop and we're help, helping to support them, then what do you think the byproduct of it is? And what do you think the byproduct is, is when, a, when the district comes in and says, you know what, we're going to place the person we want there and they can do no wrong. What do you think they're going to do to the community then? What do you think they're going to do to the teachers inside the school? Because, see, they didn't have to earn their way there. They just Correct. had to show up. See, when you earn your way there, there's something inside you that says, I have to do this. Why? Because everything is at risk. And the main thing that is at Man, risk are the again. children. That that are, because <laughs> when I earn it, everything is at risk. And so, yes. therefore, I know that what's most at risk yes. are the children. And so, I have to go in. Why? Because I know why I lead. I know why I want to lead. And I know who I'm leading. Yeah. So, who? Um, yeah. <laughs> Two things. Um, brothers. 
there are some great instructional and knowledgeable male um, principals, assistant suits out there, EDs out there. Um, and don't get it wrong, I'm in tune with us. But what I've known is that for the longest, they've used us primarily as operational individuals. And in some situations, we're chosen to be in positions that actually could have been dealt with with someone who had all of the skill set and it shouldn't have been a gender selection. It should have been the best person selection is where I'm going with that. It's oh, not nice. a woman over a male, it's the best person selection. And that's where a lot of times it's missed. Dee made a valid point. A lot of times districts select administrators for areas and it's not something that makes sense. And the reason why is you may not be the person who is the best fit because you didn't have to earn that spot. You were given that spot. So therefore you're following instructions a lot of times based on what you were instructed to do. Mm -hmm. And now you're not open sometimes to talking with the community or working with the community or working with the teachers. You're coming there with a um, mindset of this is what we're doing. This is how it's going to, how to happen. And that's how it's going to work. And not knowing that you were put in a situation that had a whole lot of other issues going on that need to be addressed. And you can't address them because you're not hearing the heartbeat of the school. You're not hearing the community. You're not hearing the children as they walk through the halls and there's a level of, I don't feel safe because of whatever the situation. Right. That becomes an issue. Somebody once asked me, and they're an administrator, um, and they were on their way to be an administrator. Pooh, would you take a job as an administrator you ain't ready for or not qualified yet? I was like, no, I am. And I knew the person, you know, personally, and they jumped into that situation and they took their test because they were able to get a um, probationary, but they weren't really ready for it. And one or two years later on, they couldn't understand why they were kind of stagnant or why certain things um, didn't go their way. And when I saw them later on, I was like, I see what's going on. A lot of times you have to be careful of jumping into something because the opportunity is there, uh -huh. because somebody told you you were great and you know you ain't did that work. <laughs> you know you ain't, you ain't did, and you're not really prepared for it. You're not prepared for it because especially on the secondary level, even on the junior high school, I'm not even gonna say secondary because now what we're seeing is that you're getting on the elementary level, administrators who are so test-driven they forget that the Lexile number for a student is so low, you just trying to teach a child how to pick A, B, C, or D. What's the most common? You're not realizing this kid can't read and you're not doing bridge programs or being creative and saying, you know what, we're gonna work with the community center over here and the YMCA over here and the, and the uh, library over here. And on Saturdays, we're gonna have a program where these kids are gonna meet over here. I got tutoring, outside tutoring is gonna work with these kids. I got this organization gonna work with these kids so that during the course of the summer, I'm going to meet with these parents. Even if these parents don't come to school, I'm going to go to their house. Your child is mandated based on them coming to this school to be at this, this particular location so we can teach them how to read. So when they get to the third grade, we don't have to test use testing strategies. These kids can read. Right. But what you've done is you've taken a job and your thing is, I know how to move kids because I know how to do these numbers. That ain't being a principal. That's not being a campus leader. 
That's being a, a, a statistician. Right. That's what that is. Right. You ain't developing our kids. And then they get to high school and you want them to go through these new pathways or these CTE programs and they get these certifications. Then they go off to these jobs or whatever and they can't read. And now you got these companies saying they got the certification, but they don't have no skill sets. And we're wondering what's wrong because campus leaders are no longer innovative in some situations. They've been put in positions that they weren't really equipped for. Right. So I'm not saying don't be... Um, in the mindset of moving forward. I'm saying be prepared, make sure that you have the skills. And then if you don't have them all, make sure you're willing to develop yourself. You be honest with yourself. What they tell us, reflect. Have true reflection time and say, I don't know this. Let me learn this. Yeah. I'm going to have to use my Christmas break. I'm going to have to look at a couple nights a week. I'm on this, this podcast somewhere with D and Pooh because they are telling me, hey, it's some things I need to understand in order to be great so that I could make sure that our children are successful by making sure that my teachers understand what we need to do in order to move our kids. But when you jump into a principal's position because the pay jumps up to forty dollars to $50,000 or because somebody said that you'd be great at the position or because you're fully certified and you feel like it's my time, that's not really a valid reason. And I am taking it to heart. Y'all can feel it. And I do have an issue with that taking place. I have an issue with districts placing principals in certain communities, and they know that that person really ain't equipped, but you have your own initiatives in place. Mm -hmm. We have initiatives that are now pushing people in positions. And the problem with that is you're sacrificing our children in the process of you having initiatives addressed. That's, that's my issue with that. Oh, that's next. The initiatives by the districts and, and these <laughs> grassroots and these outside nonprofits that actually want to give back. But then, yeah, how are you helping? That's that's yes, coming. Uh, that's coming up next. And so as we, <laughs> you know, so I'm trying to close this out to the principals. One thing he said, and I do want to repeat again, this is your challenge for the week, at least for a week. Do your mirror work. Do your self-reflection time and self-assessments and ask yourself this week, when has my behavior cause students to be unsuccessful mm -hmm. when did my behavior not when somebody didn't do what you wanted them to do when did you actually cause something or your behaviors cause students to be unsuccessful and so if we can do that mirror work y'all you will learn that you'll stop pretending you'll get real and ask yourself what was the benefit to you because there's real benefits when we don't do what we have been purposed to do or we said we want to follow Absolutely. through on or actually go into classrooms so you may say for example you may say i didn't get into mr pool's room this week and so that caused what was the what happened students were unsuccessful because i didn't get into mr pool's room this week i wasn't able to observe them and so some of the concerns that i had with mr pool two weeks ago still are on the table and i don't know if the students got the feedback that they need that, that the teacher got the feedback that he needed in order to be um, more intentional for those students in the class and the benefit to me was that I was able to do something else, or I got pulled out from a fight, or I got pulled out. Like, there are going to be a lot of excuses, y'all, but these excuses as a leader still goes back to you being the number one determinant on a campus if your students succeed or fail. And so do that work, that mirror work this week. That part. Thank y'all. As we come to a close, you have tuned in with the School Tea with Pool and D. I'm Pool. And I'm Andy. Have a good evening. See y'all next week. Bye.